Okay, and we have um, a scripture we want to look at this morning that Kathy read for us in Genesis 1. So if you have a Bible, please open up there. Genesis 1 is easy to find. It's uh, the very first page of the Bible. So um, if you're using the Bible in the seat in front of you, you can open right up to the beginning and find the first page, page of text, and that should be Genesis 1. One snowy day. I know it's hard to think about a snowy day on a warm August Sunday like um, this morning, but we're not going to have too many more warm Sundays. So, One snowy day a number of years ago, the Southern General Robert E. Lee took his eight-year-old son Curtis out for a walk. The snow was deep and the drifts were high for Curtis's short legs. And so before long, the, bo- the boy began to get tired and, and fall behind his father as they walked. After a few minutes, Lee looked back and found that Curtis was behind him, imitating his every move and walking in the tracks of his father that his father was making in the snow. And when I saw this, Lee told uh, one of his friends afterwards, I said to myself, it behooves me to walk very straight with this little fellow already following in my tracks. When I was a young boy, younger than Curtis, maybe just two or three, the family story goes that um, I would often imitate my father too, and then I would say, that's the way daddy does it. Well, my grammar's gotten better since then, but... um, that's what this passage is about. Only it's, it's not about parenting and the example that we as earthly parents set. This passage rather is about our heavenly parent and the fact that we have been created to walk in his example. Our, our passage, or in our passage, we learn that we're to live our lives in, in such a way that we can say, that's the way daddy does it. We see this in verse 27 of our passage, which tells us, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So men, ladies, boys, girls, we have been created in God's image. When God made us, he made us to be like him, to reflect what he's like, and to do many of the things that he does. Now, when you look at the world through the the lens that the Bible encourages us to look at it through, this becomes even more clear. Because the Bible encourages us to view the creation, the the universe that God made in two ways. First, to see it as God's realm, as God's kingdom. Out of the chaos, God made a good realm. God carved out a good place which he oversees for good. And what kings back in the Bible days did was throughout their realm, they would set up images of themselves. These were statues which were set up for everyone in their kingdom to know what the king was like. Because uh, they didn't have TV back then, they didn't have Facebook, so if you lived far away from the capital, how else would you know what your ruler even looked like? These, um, these statues, these images were, were meant also to remind everyone of their ruler's presence and of his authority over that realm. And and that's what God has done. God has made images of himself and placed them all through his realm to remind everyone what he is like 
that he is present, and that he is our ruler. And we are those images. The second way the Bible encourages us to look at the universe is as God's palace temple. Now, I say palace temple because people back then didn't distinguish too much between palaces and temples. Palaces are for kings. Temples are for gods. But gods, after all, are the greatest kings. And in many ancient cultures, kings were viewed as gods. So kings' palaces, gods' temples, same difference. Well, all of the gods in those days, like kings, had temples, which were their kingly palaces. And um, the Bible picks up that idea which was in the culture of that time and portrays the Lord, the true God, as creating the universe and the whole thing is God's temple. It's his kingly palace. The creation was and is God's palace temple. And what do temples dedicated to a particular God have in them? They have an image of the God, right? They have an idol. And people back then understood that that image, the, the idol of the God, wasn't actually the God, but that the God was a spirit, was, was bigger than and distinct from that idol. However, nevertheless, people believed that the idol represented the God in the temple and contained the spirit of the God. And so the God was present in the temple through that image. Of course, God's people in the Old Testament were forbidden to make idols of the true God. Why? Well, for one reason, because God had already made images of himself. And those images are us. We're the ones whom God created to bear his image, to represent his presence, to be imbued with his spirit in his palace, palace temple, his creation. And we're a much better image than any idol. You know why? Because Idols are just dead statues. They're blind. They can't see. They're dumb. They can't talk. They're lame. They can't move. But our God isn't helpless like that. Our God sees. Our God speaks. Our God moves and acts. Our God is powerful and active. Our God is able. And so what better image to represent what God is like than us, human beings, who can do all those things. We are made in God's image, placed in God's realm as reminders of his rule, of his presence, and placed in his temple as images of what God is like and of his presence in his creation. So here's the point. We are made in God's image. We reflect what he is like. So people should be able to look at our lives and say, that's the way daddy does it. Do you know what that means? It, it means you matter. It means your life matters. A and you have a calling. You have a purpose to live your life in such a way as to reflect what God is like. Not just on Sunday mornings when you're in church, but every day, every moment of your life. Now, what your specific calling for your life is, is, is a very personal affair. We're each unique. Each of us has a unique DNA, unique interests, unique talents and gifts and abilities. Also, we each have unique stories and wounds and scars that shape us. And so my calling isn't the same as your calling. And uh, some of us spend half our lives trying to figure out what our calling is, right? <laughs> we keep wondering, what, what's the purpose that we're here on this earth for, Lord? But here's the thing, while, while the details of your purpose are specific to you, our text this morning tells us that in general, 
everyone's calling has two areas in common. Your personal calling is going to be about these two things in one way or another, which are the same two things that my calling is about. And uh, we see these two things in our passage. The first is community building, and the second is co-creating. So I'd like to take some time to, to explore these two. First, community building. God makes two kinds of people in Genesis 1, male and female, and together they have the potential to create more people, to create community. And so God tells the man and the woman in our text, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. God intends for those made in his image not just to stay alone, but to grow, to reproduce, to become a community which spreads until finally it fills the earth. We are to be relational, to become families, to become families of families, and then to become families of families of families. Our purpose is to be community builders. Why? Because that's the way daddy does it. We're made in God's image, and as we know now from the New Testament, God is a family. He is Father, Son, and Spirit, a community, relating, loving, engaging in perfect loving relationships. God is relational, God is community, and God made us in his image to be relational and to live in community too. And so we are to be about the business of community building. Now, of course, there's a lot more to building community than just getting married and having babies. You, you might get that impression if you just had Genesis 1 to go on, but as the story unfolds, we see that there's a lot more to community building, especially after you get to Genesis 3 and relationships get broken and strained. And ever after, there's a lot of mending to do. So let me suggest to you just some of the places and the ways that we can go about building community. Places is easy. It's everywhere. <laughs> we can build community at home, in our families, with our housemates. We can build community at work or at school with coworkers, with students or teachers, with clients, vendors, customers. We can build community in our neighborhoods and communities. We can build community among governments and nations. What then are the ways that we can do this? Well, there, there are a lot of answers. Let me just suggest three. One is restoring broken relationships, uh, for example, through forgiveness and reconciliation. Relationships get strained, they get broken, and they need mending, they need restoration. And, and that's what God is about. That's what the gospel is about. And, and we who are made in, in God's image are to be about this work too, restoring relationships. I'll give you an example of, of how I did this with some friends uh, when I worked in Washington, D.C. I may have shared this story before. In D.C., the relational culture is broken. <laughs> the city is largely about ladder climbing and schmoozing to get what you want. And, and when one person looks at another person, often what they're thinking is, how can this person help me get what I want? Or how might this person get in the way of what I want? And so in the workplace, people are quick to take credit for whatever good thing happens before anyone else can, whether they did it or not. And they're quick to blame whatever bad happens on someone else, whether they did it or not. Well, I worked in an office, and there were a few other Christians in the office too. And as followers of Jesus, we knew that that's not God's way. That, 
that this is not what people are for or how people are to be treated. We knew that the community around us was broken, and, and because we're made in God's image, we knew that it was our job to do what our daddy does, which involves community building, taking community that had broken down and working to put it back together again. So here's what we did. Whenever our coworkers did something good, we'd brag about them to our supervisors. And if we'd collectively messed up, we'd be the first to take responsibility, at least for our part of the mess up. And guess what happened over time? This caused our colleagues to like us and to respect us more. And it caused our supervisors to trust us more. And the culture in that office began to change. It, it began to become a fun place to work, a place of trust and rapport and teamwork. A little bit more like God's realm, a little bit more like the relationships that Father, Son, and Spirit enjoy within their divine community. Restoring broken relationships. A, a second way to be community builders is to be faithful to the people that you've made commitments to and the people you, who are counting on you. Randy Frazee, writer and a pastor at Max Lucado's church in Texas, tells this story. He says, I remember seeing a picture of a husband and wife in a gentleman's office. I said, nice picture. And I turned around and looked at the man, and he had tears in his eyes. So I asked him, why are you crying? He said, there was a time in our marriage when I was unfaithful to my wife, and she found out about it. And she was so deeply hurt and injured that she was going to leave me and take the kids with her. I was overwhelmed at the mistake that I'd made and I shut the affair down. And I went to my wife in total brokenness, knowing I didn't deserve for her to answer in the affirmative. I asked her anyway to forgive me. And she forgave me. This picture was taken shortly after that, the, the man said. And when I see this picture, I see a woman who forgave me. I see a woman who was willing to stand with me in this picture. And so when you see this picture, you say, nice picture. But when I see this picture, I see my life given back to me again. Faithfulness on the part of this wife. Willingness to, to stick with people, to, to stick with them through thick and thin. Willingness to, to hang in there and reweave the broken strands of relationship which others have broken and shredded, often at great cost to ourselves. That's community building. That's the way our daddy does it. A third way we can build community is through hospitality and party throwing. Last month, a group of us youth went to, us youth, <laughs> went to Kentucky. <laughs> Funny how that came out. <laughs> Uh, for a week of camp, and, and the theme of the camp was celebration. Um, and, and we spent the whole week remembering and celebrating all that we as Christians have to celebrate. Because followers of Jesus have a lot to celebrate. We have more to celebrate than anyone else. Think of all the gifts God has given us. And, and so why is it that too often Christians aren't any fun? Well, one way to build community is to throw parties and to offer hospitality. And Jesus went to a lot of parties, didn't he? he? He even made wine at a wedding when the host ran out and the party was threatening to ground to a halt. Um, 
And one of the main images Jesus gave us to hold on to as we look forward to his return is that of a party. He, he said, one day I will be with you again and we'll have a big celebration together when I come. And, and so as followers of Jesus, as God's children, we have every reason to party and celebrate. Which is something I'm not an expert at. Um, because I didn't grow up in a family that valued celebrating and having fun. Um, and so it's something I've been trying to learn, but, but it's hard because I live in Westchester County, and we are a very driven, hardworking, stressed-out place, right? <laughs> People around here need to have more fun. Me first. <laughs> um, and, and who is going to take the lead, if not the followers of Jesus, who have more to celebrate than everyone else? Cesar Kalinowski, who has started and overseen a lot of missional communities, um, tells a story about a party that one of his missional communities threw. Caesar knows how to celebrate. Um, it was for a young lady named Kirsten, who's, uh, who, who this missional community had helped to find an apartment when she and her elderly mother were basically on the street. And uh, Kirsten went on to go back to school and to get her GED. And uh, when, uh, when she told the group, that she was getting her GED, they decided to throw her a graduation party. And uh, when they told her about it, she was hesitant. Um, Kirsten said, I've never had a party. We never celebrate in my family. Getting together on the holidays was when everyone got mean and drunk. There were a lot of screaming and a lot of fighting. Well, Kalinowski writes, this was going to be different. The group sent out fancy invitations to everyone they could think of, asking them to come and help mark this milestone in Kirsten's life. Finally, the day arrived, though Kirsten still wasn't expecting much. When she walked into the house, however, there was a massive number of balloons, a special cake, a barbecue grill filled with burgers out back, desserts, and around 40 or 50 people all there for her. Her extended family, neighbors, friends, anyone or everyone from her missional community and the people from other missional communities connected with the church attended the party. And many of those uh, people brought gifts and cards with money. I still love that part best, Kalinowski writes. Network Tacoma, who uh, still provided the apartment that Kirsten and her mom lived in, had recently received a donated car that was in great shape, so they gave her that as a graduation present her first car. Kirsten was pretty much blown away by all of this. She shared with her missional community, I think I'm getting grace, <laughs> understanding what it's all about. That's the way daddy does it. Restoring relationships, being faithful, celebrating, throwing parties, hospitality. That's what community building is about. Okay, let's move on to our other purpose from community building to co-creating. Co-creating is, is a second way that we reflect God's image and, and show everyone what God is like. What does co-creating mean? Well, it, it means that just like God creates, we create too. God creates us to be creative and to be creators. And how do we do this? Well, there are a lot of ways. Let me just point out three. One way we co-create is by making order out of chaos, just like God did in Genesis 1. That's how God began creating, right? Read Genesis 1. God, uh, Genesis 1 tells us, um, right at the beginning, speaks into a, 
a world that is formless and which is void. It's void, it's empty. And it's formless, uh, it's chaos, it's, it's, um, it's a waste of disorder. And, and what does God do? He, he forms it. He separates light from darkness. He uh, separates sea from sky. He separates water from dry land. He turned a primeval jumble of uninhabitable chaos into a safe, habitable home. And this is the work of creation. And we who are made in God's image are invited to do this work too. Because life runs toward disorder, doesn't it? (laughs) Just live in your house. The carpets get dirty. (laughs) The weeds take over the yard. Dishes pile up in the sink. Stuff starts to break. And so it takes a co-creator, someone made in God's image, to keep the chaos at bay. To restore order so that the house remains habitable especially if you have small kids, right? Chaos creators. (laughs) Well, that's your purpose. That's my purpose, to bring order out of chaos, to co-create with God because we're made in his image. A second way we co-create with God is to keep God's creation, to steward it, to care for it. The plants, the trees, the water, the soil, the animals. Our text tells us that we are to subdue the earth, and twice it tells us to rule over the animals. Now, it's utterly baffling and appalling um, to me how some Christians have turned this verse into free license to rape and pillage and exploit the earth. I can assure you that that agenda does not come from Scripture or from God. And I'll give you two no-brainer reasons why. One reason that God doesn't give us license here to exploit or damage his creation is that we're made in God's image. We're created to imitate him. And God does not rule by exploiting or damaging. No, God rules for good, to to care for, to protect, to restore. And so we who are made in his image are created to do the same. There's no way we can wreck and oppress God's creation or his creatures and then say that's the way daddy does it. Because it's not. The second reason that I know that we're to protect and keep rather than oppress is because the creation is God's palace temple. How do you think God expects his palace temple to be kept and treated? Do you think God is happy for us to trash and to exploit his palace temple for our own agendas? No way. Can you imagine the maintenance guys at the White House sneaking off with the china, stripping the fine woodwork and taking it off and pilfering the expensive furniture? Of course not. We're to rule, yes. We've been given authority, yes. We're to subdue what is wild and dangerous, but only to do so for good for God's creation, to bring out its potential, to protect it from chaos and trouble, to steward it so it flourishes and benefits all who live here, to keep God's temple so it's an honor to God and a pleasure for all who dwell in it. A third way we co-create, which might be in a little bit in tension with the second one, and take wisdom, is that we co-create by fulfilling the intended purpose of each thing that God has created. Let me say that again. We co-create by fulfilling the intended purpose of each thing God has created. So we take something God has made, 
We study it, we come to understand it, and then we put it to its intended use. Science is one way to do this. Craftsmanship and manufacturing can be other ways. As scientist Johannes Kepler put it years ago, science is about thinking God's thoughts after him. Thinking God's thoughts after him. Trying to understand the mind of God. God, why did you make this? Looking for evidence and hints of God's own thinking, God's own purpose in what he created. And as we come to understand these, then we're better able to steward God's creation, to develop it for the greater good of God's creatures, for the greater purposes of God, and the greater glory of the Creator. We've been made in God's image to be co-creators, to create along with God. Whether it's by making order out of chaos, whether it's by keeping and caring for God's creation, or whether it's by discovering and realizing the purposes of what God has made. And so here's the point about co-creation. This applies to community building too. Our work matters to God. Our work matters to God. God's a creator and we have been made to create like him. And so we've been created this way so that we can work and create and build community like God works and creates and builds community so that we can then say, that's the way Daddy does it. Our work matters to God. The New Testament scholar Michael Wilcox puts it this way. He says, religion is a curse. When that is, it means the admitting of God into one department of life while every other door is labeled secular and bolted against God. God doesn't just care about what happens on Sundays. Our work every day matters to God. The German reformer Martin Luther agreed. He once said, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. When we build community, when we co-create, we are living out our purpose made in God's image. Yet there's also a third great purpose we were created for, not just community building, not just co-creating, but also communing with God. Communing with God. And in fact, our first two purposes ultimately flow out of this third one. Because God doesn't intend for us to work just from our own smarts or just from our own strengths. But rather, our work, our calling, our purpose is to flow from a life lived in close relationship with God, our Creator. George Washington Carver was a man who exemplified this well. And let me close with his story. Carver's parents uh, had been slaves, and he grew up right around the end of the Civil War. Though he was a black man, he was able to be educated, and he became a brilliant and renowned scientist at the Tuskegee Institute. Yet Carver gave all credit to God, and uh, often he woke at four in the morning to walk and talk with God in the woods before he went to his lab. He said it was there that God taught him much of what he learned in science. Carver is most famous for discovering 300 uses for the peanut. Now, that may sound funny and irrelevant to us, but at the time, this literally saved the southern economy. 
You see, years of growing nothing but cotton had depleted and ruined southern soil. And farmers needed to learn to rotate and to diversify their crops if they were going to survive. And planting a crop like peanuts would replenish their soil. But farmers couldn't sell all those peanuts. I mean, Americans only eat so many peanuts. Well, Carver found 300 new uses for peanuts, which gave a market for peanuts, which allowed farmers to diversify their crops and save their soils and ultimately the southern economy. How did Carver do it? It's reported that he prayed, he prayed, Mr. Creator, show me the secrets of your universe. And God replied, little man, you are not big enough to know the secrets of my universe, but I'll show you the secret of the peanut. <laughs> and God did. And so Carver, in communion with God, co-created with God, and then he could say, that's the way my daddy does it. How about you? You have a calling. Your work matters to God. You and I have been made to live out God's image. Created to be community builders. Created to be co-creators. As all the while, we commune with God. That's who we are. That's the way Daddy does it. Let's pray. God, teach us each to take delight in the fact that you have made us special and wonderful after your own image. I pay, pray that the truth um, that we were made like you to create and to build community and to commune with you, that that would sink deeply in our hearts and that it would transform the way we look at our everyday lives. For those of us who are wrestling with our calling, I pray that in the meantime we would find ways every day, whatever we're doing, to bloom where we're planted to co-create and build community with you as we commune with you. And um, over time, give us clarity on what unique calling you have for us. I pray that we would be a blessing to this world and we would bring honor to you as we each um, follow in your image. Amen.